The time has come. I like that. The time is now for Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. She's a world-renowned dog trainer. You've seen enough dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Furfer. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of sweaty balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready, ready to go. go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get the busy bee. I need to trim her whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. I'm still in a coma, a food coma. Yeah, it's an L-tryptophan, right? Well, is that, that what it is? Yes, it is. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Sleepy. Yeah, I had a great Thanksgiving. I went to see, I went with my in-laws, and I have great in-laws. I do too. Which is fantastic, isn't it? Rare. So, um, it is rare. <laughs> so, I was up in North Georgia mountains, beautiful, nice. hiking with my dogs, hanging out with my family, perfect Thanksgiving. Very nice, very nice. I was um, at home. I usually have an onslaught. Of family, my mom comes in every year, and both my brothers came in, and my nephew and friends, and I have the strays Thanksgiving, so it's like, oh, you have anywhere to be? Come with us. One year I had 26 people in my house. Yeah, we had to buy extra turkey breasts, but it all worked out. It was all good. Nobody knows about Thanksgiving in England. That's right. You don't have Thanksgiving, no, do we don't. you? No. They're like what? They're missing out. They are missing. It's one of my favorite holidays. Is there anything similar, like, you know, Guy Fox Day is similar to Fourth of July? Is it like... Not really. No. No, there there isn't. No. We have nothing to... We have nothing to thank for. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We're thankful that you let us go. We lost your country. (laughs) No, we set you all up and we decided that was it. We were going to leave. So, um... But that's something different, is it? That's the revolution. Yeah, that's yeah, that's Let's right. Let's not even go there. You have a we're so depressed we lost all of our kinfolk day, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, the morning day. Um, <gasps> but, you know, can you believe? And now it's like Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah. You know, but even a month ago, there was Christmas, there were Christmas decorations up in stores. And oh, they before were Halloween. And dreadful Christmas yeah. music yeah. that you just think all of those poor people that work in that store – are they going to go crazy? Because I've been in here for five minutes. I'm about to just <laughs> explode. I would imagine it gets tuned out after a while that they don't even hear it. Terrible. But it just kind of, it makes me sad because you'd see, you do see holiday decorations before Halloween. It's like, can we celebrate other holidays first before we do that? I feel like the season's getting longer and longer. And the next thing you know, it's like, just leave it up all year long. And then it's not special anymore. Well, you know what? Thanksgiving isn't special anymore now. Thanksgiving used to be a time when... All the stores were closed and you could hang out with your family and give thanks for all of the good things that have happened in your life. Well, now all the stores are open on Thanksgiving. So eat your turkey and get down to get the best deals. Yeah. Yeah, You know, everything, everything is open on Thanksgiving. And then, of course, at midnight when it goes into Black Friday Mm -hmm. and my my brother-in-law always wants to go. He always wants to say, "Okay, let's go and let's go shopping at midnight. I don't want to go shopping at midnight. You kidding? No, I'll never forget. I used to date a guy years and years ago in another lifetime in Detroit and he had two young kids and um, he would have them every other Christmas. And so one year we were we we decided, oh, you didn't go shopping. We were there Christmas Eve the stores were open, Toys R Us, with like 75,000 other people getting last minute. And I'll forget what a nightmare that was. I mean, and people don't look good. You know, you, you're you're in sweats. You're, you know what I mean? Like you're trying to, you're trying to get like, I think Elmo was the big gift back, back then. It's not a pleasant experience. And I'm not like, I could be home no. drinking a brandy and here I am 
elbowing, you know, Fluffy from next door who insists she gets the latest, you know, Barbie with the blue skirt doll. We it's, just want, 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 want. It's such a materialistic society, just wanting more stuff. You know what? That's a good topic to bring in our guests, and she's sitting right here. She, I know she's chomping at the bit. It's Dr. Paula Bloom back. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Hello. I can see you, just your eyes lighting up like, oh, my God, this is right in my wheelhouse. Totally. Wow. The ability to actually postpone gratification. Wow. What a concept. What yeah. is it? Okay, so wait a second. What does that mean? The ability to postpone gratification. Um, well, we're not good at waiting for things. We're not good at waiting for things. It's no. like immediate, you know. And nowadays, people, are they grateful for family or are they grateful for the good deal on the iPad? You know, <laughs> it's just kind of an interesting thing that in many ways, things have kind of replaced uh other qualities, right? Um, the ability to feel grateful, the ability to love, the ability to be patient, the ability to enjoy serenity. I mean, it's all about not for everybody, I shouldn't say all, um, for many people, it's about being stimulated all the time to the point where we, we get used to things so we're not stimulated at all. Do you see what I'm saying? It's yes. like we're designed to detect a change. If you're constantly, constantly um, stimulated and taking in information and you don't have a time to really digest it and let it marinate, so anyway, yeah, I could go on and on about all the horrible well, things, but we're trying to be positive here. We're trying to be positive, but it's interesting because I just read an article sort of along those lines about how we've changed emotionally and how we've changed psychologically as a, as, as a culture where, for instance, going on vacation used to be this, oh, it was this great, relaxing, and it was wonderful. Now they're saying if you're on vacation, make sure to take some time to do a task because you get so used to right. being happy, relaxed, right. that it doesn't mean anything anymore. So if you're sitting on the beach from 6 a.m. till 5 p.m., by 2 o'clock, you're like, eh, it's kind of lost its luster. So they say if you get up and go do something, whether it's right. even going to the post office to mail your postcards or you know, going into the grocery store to restock on bottled water, do something so that when you get back to the right. beach – you go, okay, this right. is good. So we're so right. desensitized. Right. We are. And contrast effect is really powerful, very powerful. You know, I've heard people talk about the difference between being a human being versus a human doing. And I think mm -hmm. these days we do a lot of being human doings, doing, 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 that the idea of just being is really, really difficult. You know, before we started the podcast, Holly and I were talking about how we're not big. We can't really do yoga. Like, I love the idea <laughs> oh, of I'm it. the same. Can't do okay, it. Victoria, too. Because I think part of it is my personality, but Part of it is the idea of just being is very threatening because that's when all the thoughts come in. That's when all the sort of existential questions come in. So a lot of us spend a lot of time doing so that we don't have to confront some of those big questions and some of those feelings. I tried it. I tried it. Yeah. I really did. I wanted to meditate. I wanted to do yoga. I wanted to be able to find this time where I could really relax. And all I could do was I just had all these thoughts in my head. There was no way. And I thought, okay. How long is this going to take? Half an hour? I'll need to go and do this, right. this, and this, and that's this, and this. That's, right. that's all I can but, think about. But that's okay, Victoria, because meditation, every single client that I say, okay, you may want to consider meditating, says, I'm not good at it. It's okay to have all those thoughts. You don't have to swat them away like flies. What you want to do is have the capacity to be the observer of your thoughts. Instead of judging yourself for having them, like, oh, I can't even do this right, and getting all perfectionistic about meditating, mm -hmm. to be able to look at those thoughts like they're clouds kind of floating by. And because the power that we have, it's very dangerous to believe everything you think. And so if you believe everything you think, I don't know, I think you're kind of screwed. So the <laughs> ideal is to be able to recognize you're the observer of those thoughts and not be those thoughts. If right? I believed everything I thought, I would be oh screwed Oh my up. gosh. <laughs> Me if too. I, <laughs> if I believed everything I thought, I might be a little bit fabulous too. <laughs>
Because there's those moments where I'm like, I look good. You're a lot of it fabulous. You're a lot of it fabulous. Like, what in the world did I do? This does not go with this. And did I think I looked good in these pants? But, you know, it's good. It's a healthy sense of... But here, but, you know, like Victoria said, I get... Like I'm, I'm doing yoga and I'm like, okay, I got to do this and then I got to vacuum the floors and then, oh shoot, don't forget to send that email and oh man, I meant to make that phone call. I got to do it by noon. Like, so I'm not getting what I think I right. should be getting out of Right, the but the idea of being able to have those thoughts but not let them have a lot of traction, being able to be present. And one of the quickest ways to get yourself back to the present is through your body and through your breath. So one of the things I teach people is what's called breath watching. You don't even have to do any kind of slow breathing, but just the capacity to be fully engaged in your breath and being able to kind of bring your attention back to that helps you get anchored in the present moment. I think, again, this is why people love their dogs. Dogs are here in the present moment. When you're playing with your dog, there's not a lot of extra room to be obsessing and worrying about things. Hmm. I think that's very I always right. feel like I've been through therapy. I feel so much better whenever I hang out with Paula. So I'm like, you want to do lunch? Because I feel like, oh. It's okay to born. have brains as muddled as us. <laughs> totally, totally. That's amazing. Well, you know, talking about how we think and, you know, different ways of thinking and looking at things. Because I have a lot of friends who, you know, they do yoga. They do all these, you know what I mean? Things that I just look at and I go, I can't do that. It makes me feel like somehow we're wired differently in some ways, totally. too. That we're different people. But... But inherently, sometimes, you know, when you when you think about a path, it always, you know, when it gets down to it, we're all the same. It's just how you deal with it. And I know you and I, Victoria, have had a lot of conversations about positive training versus dominance training. And inherently, I think we all want to get to the same place, whether, you know, like doing yoga, doing a boot camp. But we have different ways of going about it. Right. But there's some things that are better than others, like positive reinforcement, things like that. So how can you sort of focus yourself to, to go down that right path, I guess is what I'm asking. Uh, I think in the context of training, of, of relating to animals, trying to get a relationship with animals, and for so long it's been this emphasis on traditional training where it's more of a human dominance animal submission methodology. You make your animal submit to you in order for it to behave. Um, I've always had a problem with that. And a lot of trainers that train using positive reinforcement methods have also have a problem with it. I have a problem with people hurting in some way, either physically or mentally, the vulnerable. I believe that you don't learn well by dominating a, a being, another being. That being doesn't learn well from its teacher. And I, and I believe you've got to make your animal or your child confident by making it feel good. So this whole idea of dominance, you know, and it's not just men that train in a very militaristic style. A lot of women do as well. What is it about them that makes it okay for them to really jerk on a dog's leash or hold it down on a restraint or hit it or kick it or scream at it? What What is that in somebody that makes it do that and makes it okay? You know, I think there's a few things going on. One is people are susceptible to the influence of people who they respect. So if there's people espousing certain hypotheses or theories, right, um, then you're going to buy into that if it aligns with something internally in you that feels right. And so a lot of it, I think, is, you know, I would imagine that the reason why you do what you do, I know a lot of it is based on science because I know you, you're very cerebral and science-based, but also part of it is it resonates with you for whatever reason. And so we need to look at why we do what we do. 
often people, because the thing is, if you believe that dominance training is the only path, you're going to look for examples of when it works to support your belief, this is the only path. You're not going to look at information, science, that sort of could dissuade you from that. Dominance, you know, a lot of dominating people, and we've all known people who are dominant, it's about control. One of the things in the human condition that's very difficult is to feel powerless. And so what do we do? We counteract that powerlessness with control, a lot of us do. I feel so scared that something's going to happen to my kid, I'm going to control everything about my child. Mm -hmm. recognizing that ultimately kids are going to make their own decisions and you want to be able to help people and dogs make decisions, right? I mean, dogs are making decisions, aren't they? To behave good, yes. to behave well. Yes. So part of it too is I would imagine, and I don't know if there's been research on this, that if you were to evaluate people who are really, you know, people who really like dominance training, I would be curious to kind of look at their family histories. Were they dominated? And then, you know, mm -hmm. we see the cycle of violence and abuse that people who've been abused often go on to abuse. Or if there's somebody who's been abused, is it that they were kind of got the message growing up that they were somebody who didn't have any control, that they are somebody who was too wild, too crazy, whatever, and that their parents gave them the message that, you know, and they rebelled, but their parents gave them the message that they were supposed to be this way. The thing is... When your dog isn't behaving, it's tempting to want to exert control, right? Mm -hmm. It's far more difficult to have this more nuanced approach, this positive approach, because I, my sense is that positive things take a little longer. They stick longer, right? But they take longer to cultivate. And the other stuff is more because pain is a very quick motivator, right? So it's easier. Is that right, Victoria? In a way, yes. I mean, there's a lot of positive reinforcement techniques. If you want to do, like, say, uh, obedience training, you teach your dog to sit, stay, come to you. It's very, very quick. And uh, and so the dog learns very quickly through positive motivation. Mm -hmm. but when you're actually trying to change an, a dog that's anxious in some way, either it's suffering from separation anxiety, anxiety or it's aggressing, because it feels so uncomfortable, so unconfident, so insecure in a certain situation. That takes a while longer. But I always say to people, why do you think that just a jerk on the collar is going to stop your dog from lunging on the leash at another dog? Why are you belittling your dog's experience, its, its ability to learn by thinking that just a jerk can do that? Because that's what people think. Mm -hmm. I think that just as it takes maybe a while of therapy and potential um, medication to change a person's or, or make a person feel less anxious about a certain situation. It's the same with a dog. Yeah. But why do we think that dogs don't have that ability to think or that we can change them or the way right. they feel like that? Emotions take a while to change. They do. And that's the thing. It's funny because in human beings, there's a triangle between our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. And I really think that thoughts can affect our feelings and behavior can affect our feelings. It's very hard to absolutely directly go towards feelings. Do you see what I'm saying? You can't change your feelings. You can change your thoughts, and that influences. You can do things that then help you to feel better. And so I would imagine, though, with um, animals, it's the same kind of thing, right? And so I, I know you've talked a lot about the fact that you're really training people here. 
right? What is, do you think is a big reason why people are resistant to positive stuff? What have you, because sometimes it's so hard to persuade, no matter how much science, right? The person's not going to get it. So what have you used to help people? If somebody's listening today and they're kind of on the edge of deciding what approach to take with their kids, what if, with their kids, listen to me, I'm a well, mom, right? They're like their dogs. <laughs> totally, kids. totally. But it is the same thing, you know, the way people train in, you know, and, and raise their kids is the way they train and raise their dogs. Right. Right. We can't separate the person <clears throat> no. from what they're doing. And so many times we justify it as this is this is our philosophy. Well, there's a difference between what what things work well in theory and philosophy and then how they they kind of look. So I'm just curious, how do you persuade people? It's got to be such an uphill battle. Well, definitely, I say this is that the more time, the more patience you put into this, you're really going to change the way your dog feels. You're going to change those thought processes and the, and changing those thought processes, as you said, is going to change the way your dog feels. And the way your dog feels is also going to change the way your dog reacts. So it's, it is going to be a long lasting solution. You are going to find a solution. It's not a quick fix. I always say quick fixes very quickly come unstuck. So when you've got the leash lunging dog out there that's lunging at an the dog walking past and you just give it a good jerk on the choke collar or shock it with a shock collar that's a quick fix right because it stops the dog doing it from that point but the dog still feels the same inside so you know that maybe not the next dog that goes past but the dog after that that goes past boom it's going to happen again the dog's still going to feel uncomfortable in that situation and I tell them you know what do you want do you want a dog that remains unpredictable or do you want a dog that is going to be more predictable in the future because when you train a dog using positive reinforcement you are actually ensuring that you your dog is going to behave more predictably in a certain situation in the future. Right. Wow. This is really is a lot like parenting. It is, and here's a question too, going to that, um, you know, for me, I'm a very emotional person and when it comes to dogs and I have to tell you, I love children. I've got nieces and nephews, but I will react more strongly to a dog than I will a child. And let me just give you an example. Last night I'm on Facebook and there's a great page, which I recommend everybody friends called pet pardons. And what they try and do is find homes for dogs that are on death row all over the country that don't. Have, okay. So last night it was probably 12 o'clock and I had to do one quick thing online. And I thought, oh, I'll just check my Facebook page to make sure no one's trying to reach me. And I see this picture of this pit bull that is just defeated and sad. If you go to my Facebook page, you will see it on there. And I instantly burst out crying. I mean, it was like a 30 minute, I mean, it just tore me and I send it out, you know, please, I will pay for this dog. Can somebody please take this dog? How it's out in California. How can we save this dog? But then there's like my brother, we grew up in the same household. We're the same people in that, you know, we share DNA and we did not grow up with dogs. So I get it. But He's like, mm, I don't know if I want to come stay at your house for Thanksgiving. You've got those big dogs. Like, I just don't understand. And But we're cut from the same cloth. We had the same experience growing up. So somehow, for me, it's... And I don't know why we didn't have, it's not like we grew up in different households. So what... Right. What's because the, here's the thing. What we know is that there's two things that contribute to who we are. One is, well, three things. One is our genetics. So what's been passed down. One is our biology. You can share genetics, but have different biology. You know what I mean? Just different things in your brain, whatever happened in utero with your mom. You know, there, there are differences. And then there's environment. And then, oh, yeah, there's another thing, your temperament. Anybody who's had more than one kid knows you think to yourself, oh, my God, these all came out of my body, yet they are all so different. There are temperament differences. There are kids who are just very reactive and sensitive from the get-go. And then there are kids who nothing phases them. And as a parent, you like to think that, oh, I can control so many factors. But in many ways, you can't. 
you know. And so, so go ahead. I was going to say, but would that sort of relate to the, you know, some people who can have that ability to yell at a dog and scream at a dog where it makes me recoil in horror? Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it's you people need to, you know, with with dog training, we focus so much on what our dog is doing. We really need to look at ourselves because it's like we all have a prescription for how we see the world and it's distorted. Anybody who wears glasses or contacts knows that if you're not wearing those glasses or contacts, things look blurry. The world isn't blurry. You just haven't put your glasses on. And so we have to know what our prescription is for how we see the world and then know what the what we need to do to have more clarity. And we just, people don't, especially with their animals, with their children. It's funny, this is why I don't, I don't really do child therapy because I, I don't know that I could deal with the parents. You know, sending these kids back to that environment because so often you bring the kid in, the kid's the identified patient, but oh, seriously, you're like, okay, this kid's okay. It's these crazy parents. Oh and my gosh, so, it happens so, yes. many, so many times in, dog, in, in training on my show and in private right. as well when it, it really is the, the people that are influencing the dog's behavior. And, and it's very difficult for, for, for me to sometimes um, highlight that. You know, right. I mean, my show has been given me the ability to be able to to say that because they're not Call writing the check. Out. Do you know what I mean? Right. But it, it can be hard. I just had another thought, which is many people, you know, a lot of dominance is about fear. Maybe it's those people are so scared to not use dominance. They're so scared of what might happen with a different approach with something more nuanced. Listen, if I could give a treatment goal to every single client who walks in every, listen to me, every all, I tell people not to use those words, every single client that comes in. One of the things that I would say is to see the world less black and white. Black and white is for children. Like that's how we start. We, we feel comfortable with, okay, it's either this or this. I mean, listen to any four-year-old boy play and it's like the good guys and the bad guys, evil versus not, you know, good. And so as we develop, ultimately what we hope for is a more gray approach in realizing that there aren't that many absolutes. There aren't that many absolutes. And so, but this idea of dominance training is appealing to people because it feels right. Why does it, it doesn't, you know, it feels right because it you know, they, they tell you this is the way that it's supposed to be. I mean, we're doing a lot of unlearning here, Victoria. I mean, you're counteracting yeah. a lot of unlearning. That's right? why it's a battle. And I always see I, I do see it's that person has lost the ability to control their dog or never had the ability in the first place, which makes that really um, difficult for them when their dog misbehaves. So they've got to get back in control and they'll do it in any way possible. They, it, It's almost like and they don't care about the relationship with their dog. They think they have a great relationship with the dog, but then I'm looking at the dog and I'm reading the dog's body language and body signals and I'm seeing what's going on in the dog's eyes. That dog's shut down or that dog that dog has to look at the person because it has to because it fears what's going to happen to it if it doesn't. And so uh, it's difficult to get a person to really take a look at their dog and realize it. And sometimes I've just videoed the dog so that the person can look at how their dog looks at them and responds to them and then they get it. But it's a really damaging way of training and, and I do say you know a, a lot of people tackle the positive reinforcement trainers because they say oh we're weak and we're soft and we only deal with the little dogs and we don't deal with behavior problems the real you know the aggression the red zone dogs well actually that couldn't be further from the truth because positive reinforcement for the red zone dogs dogs with major aggression is the most safest way to deal with a dog every bite every time a dog bites that's a failure for that dog that's a failure for that trainer that's working with that dog because you've just made that bite more deeply ingrained mm -hmm. you don't want that dog to go to that behavior you want the dog to have other choices to make other choices 
thought process to go towards a different behavior rather than biting. So each time a dog bites, if I'm training a dog and it bites me, which thankfully has only happened twice in my 15 years of training, and it bites me, I failed, and I failed that dog. But um, people don't see that as a failure. People just see it, oh, you know, if the dog bites and yet you're still fighting it and then you win and the dog finally gives up, that's macho, that's that's great. You won the battle. They don't see the damage that's been done. Right. And those are generally, I would imagine, those are the people who – or react like that in real life. In, 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 when I say real life, like translated into the outside world, for instance, you know, I've had many bosses who feel like, you know what, if I scream and yell at you and I point out everything you've done wrong and I, you know, berate you for being late on your story or whatever the issue is, you'll be a better employee. When really, I know it's the same thing. I shut down. I'm like, are you kidding me? And it makes me not want to do something. Right. Same thing, you know, I, mean, I hate to say it, but with my husband, when I'm asking, can you please do this? Can you do this? And we're, you know, and we yell at each other. It makes me not want to help him and not want to work with him because I don't like this. So it, it's hard because I don't ever, I could never, I would be, a, I don't know if they say terrible boss, I'd probably be a very good boss. I could never berate someone. I would rather say, you know what, you did a great job on that, but now what you need to do, let, let's try and do it like, and I think that you, it, like, the, the, like the saying, you catch a lot more, you know, more flies with honey, honey than vinegar. vinegar right? and, and the thing is that, that I, I would imagine someone who would be into dominance training is going to be like that in the working world and like that with their families yeah, and it's actually, in them. Yes and no. I think that what happens a lot of times is that people in the outside world won't do that. So they'll displace that onto their family or their dogs. People who would never be that way in the world, who are who don't have the coping skills, but they just sort of shut down in the world, what are they going to do? They may take it out on their animals. And in their home. But see, now, isn't that a good point, Victoria? So the whole point is what you're doing is you're not quelling a behavior. You're diverting the behavior. So yes. a dog's going to do the same thing. So if this person is getting beat up at work or getting beat up by friends or spouse and then they take it out on the dog, well, the do- you know, they're going to behave in the working world and they're going to behave at home, but then they're going to take it on the dog. Well, that dog, if it's being dominated, will behave in that situation, but then may take it out on the cat or go chase right. a squirrel that's or why go we bite say, a child. That's why we say dominance training in the end, especially when you're dealing with a dog with anxiety or aggression or any dog, um, can be very very dangerous because you're really you're you're making behavior even more unpredictable than than it already already is i mean you can't predict behavior anyway but you can you can you have an ability to predict behavior more easily in certain right. situations mm-hmm. if you know what your dog's thought processes are likely to be. And uh, and so I, I do regularly go into homes, like I just had one in the last season that I filmed, of a man who was very stressed out at work. And what did he do? He came and take, took out all of his stress on the dogs, physically and vocally mm-hmm. on these dogs, yet he had three small kids. And what was the small, the six-year-old little girl doing? She was hitting her dog. Why? Because she saw her father do mm-hmm. it. Becomes a learned behavior in the family. It does. And that's what worries me. When children are seeing this celebrated, and that's what I want to ask you, Paula. Um, when children are seeing their parents do this, it's almost like, you know, well, if my mom and dad are doing it, or my guardian's doing it, or my aunt and uncle, I can do it too. It's okay. It's, it's okay. Why do we celebrate in this society? Why do we celebrate this kind of machismo power? Don't I, I, Because I sort of see a more internal, nonviolent power as more effective leadership than this sort of out there yelling, hitting, dominant, 
destructive power. Almost right. more strength because it takes a lot more willpower. It takes a lot more cunning. It takes yeah. a lot more intellect to be able to be that strong person than just someone who wields, you know, a, a strong right. hand. Why do we celebrate a, it? Right. Um, I think a lot of times it's sort of like the same thing with the dogs is we celebrate it because it's the only path we know. And it's what you see on the outside. It's much sexier. I mean, think about what we see on television, right? I know you're mm-hmm. you're a journalist, Holly. I mean, the leads it leads it, you know, if it bleeds, it leads kind of thing. It's that that stuff. The absence of doing something is not visible. The presence of doing something is, you know. And so it's sort of like we in our society, the same thing you're talking about. Extroverts are valued in some ways more than introverts, which is ridiculous. That's why introverts a lot of times have some self-esteem stuff because they have this idea that somehow I'm supposed to be like that person. You know, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be like that person. When really, it's sort of like what Michelangelo says. It's it, when they asked him how he sculpted David, he just said, "I carved away all the marble that wasn't David." He didn't create. He didn't put something. You know, he didn't build it. He removed the obstacles to becoming who you're supposed to be, and in this case, the marble. And I would imagine with dogs, in many ways, it's the same thing. I think it's a terrible precedent to set to your children that the way to control another being is to dominate it. But I people just, are doing it all the time. And it's scary. When kids hear yelling, even if it's not directed at them, mm-hmm. you know, when they're even seeing yelling, they can have secondary trauma. Even if you're yelling at the other kid, lots of kids will feel that. You know, it's scary when people lose control. Even if people say, no, 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 this is very controlled. This is why, you know, the American Psychological Association, the um, Academy of Pediatrics, why all of us say that spanking isn't good. That used to be the only option. People didn't realize there were other ways to shape their kids' behavior. Spanking is not good, especially when people say, oh, you know, it it works. It it got my kid. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily help that they're going to do it again. They're not making a choice. Exactly. happened to them. It's suppression of behavior right at that point, isn't That's it? Right. Suppression. But you, you're not, you're not, you're not talking to the child right. and saying, right. well, "Why did you do it?" I was spanked a lot as a kid. I was spanked a lot. That's what how my parents dealt with it. And sometimes I got the slipper. And I remember one day. I, okay, I'm I, sorry. You're English. What the heck is that? Oh, slipper. slipper. <laughs> well, I, mean, I was told to bend over, and mm. I was hit with my father's oh, slipper. I'm sorry. Yeah, and um, it's because I escaped to the fair. <laughs> I ran away. You did. Yeah, I did. I ran away. And you I wanted to be a carny? I was 12 years old and I ran. There was the fair up on Wimbledon Common and I ran away with my friend Sarah Libby who lived next door. I packed a little suitcase, <laughs> ran away to the fair, spent the day there, oh. then came back because I got hungry. So I came back <laughs> and my father told me to get upstairs and I got upstairs and he whopped me so hard. <gasps> I'm telling you. Uh, I've never forgotten it. I will never forget it to the day the sound of his footsteps, bang, bang, mm-hmm. bang, coming up the stairs. And I knew I was in for it, but I never forgave him. And I never forgave my parents because they never asked me why. Mm. Why did you Why did you run away? Why? They never asked me that. Why did you run away, Vic? Do you know why I don't even remember? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I don't in- even remember. But I was not. But I remember that beating. Right. But you know what's interesting and just. Well, so I grew up in the complete polar opposite household where my parents did not believe in touching a child at all, but the threat was always there. So we got the, don't make me go upstairs and get the brush. Don't make me go upstairs and get the belt. No, no. And then, and you know, if you still continue that bad behavior, my dad would be fine. I'm going to get the belt. And he would do that slow walk up the stairs where it was really loud. Oh, exactly and then you it. could hear the drawer opening and we all dispersed, went to our rooms and shut the door. So then my dad closed it and he was able to dispel that behavior without, but then he took it one step further. When we were caught doing something it was, 
20 minutes in the dining room. Go to your room, close the door. I want you to think about what you did, and we're going to discuss this in 20 minutes in the dining room. And if you got called to the dining room, we're like, oh, you got called to the dining room. (laughs) And you sit there, and he would sit there and say, why do you think I'm angry at you? What do you think you did wrong? How do you think we can? And it was all of this. And, you know, I will not lie. There were moments where I'm like, just hit me and get it over with. Because it was so painful to sit there for 30 minutes. Right. But he never. And let me tell you, I never did it again. And I understood. By the end of the conversation, I was like, you know what? You're right. Right. Letting a boy in when you weren't home was probably really stupid. Sorry, Dad. And I got it. And it never happened again. But he never. The threat was there. But it never happened. You both brought up something that I think is really key. And that is that it's very important to cultivate in yourself and in your children a sense of curiosity, non-judgmental observation. You brought it up, Victoria, because they never asked you why. They just made, they just immediately went to change the behavior without having a profound understanding or any understanding of it. And that really hurt you. And you're talking about the same thing, which was very effective when your father with a place from a place of non-judgmental curiosity. He wasn't yelling at you. He was asking you questions, right? Mm-hmm. In that dining room scenario. <laughs> okay, next time you come to my house, well, I'll make sure we don't eat in the dining room. Oh my god, I hate dining um, rooms. <laughs> <laughs> you have a beautiful dining room though. Well, right? maybe that's house. why. That's probably why. <clears throat> I spent more money and more time on that dining room oh, that nobody uses. I think you're done to something. It's fabulous. Um, <laughs> but anyway, this idea of having curiosity is very key. The problem is we immediately get into judgment judgment mode, right? Because judgment is sort of, it's very emotional. But if you can detach and just observe what's going on, you're going to have much more information. You're going to be able to make a better decision about how to, because dominance is all about emotion. It's not about deliberate thought, right? It's not about nuance. It's not about really profoundly understanding. You're just trying to control. Victoria, you're getting a lot of data. You're getting a lot of information um, because you're somebody who just shows a lot of curiosity and non-judgment, even though I know people sometimes feel judged, you know, because they're so scared of you because you're English and because they don't feel good about what they've done so far. So they feel like you're judging them. And I know you're just want to help people. You want them to make the world a better place. And, you know, so it's this idea of curiosity, cultivating curiosity. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's exactly, exactly right. Dominance training, they don't ask why they just suppress. I want to ask why. I want to ask why is the dog behaving in the way it's behaving? And then I want to find a solution. There's no time. You know, dominance trainers, they don't have time for that. They just want to suppress behavior right there and then. And that fundamentally makes that behavior more deeply ingrained, more unpredictable, and the dog more dangerous. And that's why I have really big issue against it. Right. And so if you don't ask why, you end up a dog trainer like Victoria Stillwell. If you don't ask why. <laughs> Polly, you're awesome. Woo-hoo. She's amazing. Thank you, Paula. You you are brilliant. Are, are you going to have you? Are you going to stick around for the um, Animal Academy and all that kind of stuff? Can you stay? Because um, um... <laughs> well, if you need me here for some support, yes, you know, please. I'll do that. I mean, I almost didn't come back just because of what an idiot I felt like at the last one. But I've decided no that I'm judgment. not being judged. But no judgment. Last week, Paula, um, Holly asked me questions, so you don't have to. It didn't like go an so idiot. well. So um, <laughs> so don't worry. Okay, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'll stick around. Perfect. All right. Hey, Victoria, give me a fascinating furry fact. The aggressive bark is... Uh, thanks for that, I guess. I know what you're thinking. Crazy people. Crazy dog. Did you provoke her? What did you do? Did you pinch her or something? Got anything else? Different smells in a dog's urine can tell other dogs... 
Whether the dog leaving the message is female or male, old or young, sick or healthy, or happy or angry. Ew! <laughs> That's gross! I can just picture your daughter Alex saying, Ew, I have to do that! Um, I know it's time to do Ask Victoria, but since Paula's here, can we just get right to the pain and do Animal Academy instead since she's willing to help? Oh, please. Can I make you feel stupid again? Yes, please. Ah, do. Because <laughs> you called me back last week. Oh, yes. Let's jump right into the Let's Embarrass and Humiliate Holly segment. Open your notebook, sharpen your pencil, and get ready. You're about to attend Victoria's Animal Academy. I always feel like we're at an English tea party with this music playing on in the background. Alistair Cook should be sitting in the corner by the yes. fireplace. I love it. It reminds me so much of my country. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it so right. does not remind me of any country that I've ever been. Yeah. Oh, dear. Come to my world. Okay. Oh, yes. You would think you'd feel smarter with that, but no. We can, we British, we can be as thick as anything, yet we can no. sound like Paula, we just know everything. To give you a little reference, last week I quizzed uh, Victoria, so this is going to be payback, so I definitely need you. I love that yeah, we're so right. grown up and mature here. <laughs> yeah, right. so Holly, here we go. Yes. Try get this one. <laughs> a cackle. Can dogs tell time? No. I don't think so, and let me tell you why. I love my dogs, and I don't like to call them stupid, which I don't think they're the brightest dogs in the world, but I go on vacation. They're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I go take the garbage down to the end of the street. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. They don't really know how long I've been gone. Maybe that's not entirely true. Really? There's yeah. a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about um, one time when I was here, somebody asked a question about if they can tell time, like when, when it comes to how do they know that at 4.30 they immediately it's time to eat. And you were talking about how you thought maybe it was some cue from, from the body saying, oh, now I'm hungry. Um, I mean, I've never seen a dog watch, so <laughs> I have no idea if they're wearing <laughs> watches or, or maybe they just use their cell phone like most of us do now. <laughs> well... Mm. It's dogs might use what's called circadian oscillators. Oh, oh okay. You know about this. We talk about circadian rhythms when we're talking about sleep and stuff. Right. Mine's all messed up. Which is daily fluctu fluctuations of hormones, body temperature, and neural activity mm -hmm. to know when food is likely to hit the bowl or when owners are likely to return from work. Oh. So I can't tell time by looking at a clock, but I really, yeah. Have you seen those videos? That um, where they and there was a study, it was a story done years ago and it was on like 60 Minutes or one of those where they were talking about dogs can sense when an owner's coming back and they would set it up and they would have the owner come back at different times of the day. And they would say when the owner was 10 minutes away, the dog would rush to the window, no matter if it was noon, 8 p.m., 8 a.m. So maybe they can really sense. Well, I think that's something different. Oh. I think that's because dogs can hear sounds from greater distances than we can. And also, you know, what my studies when I was doing the canine noise phobia series mm -hmm. um, into the way the dogs hear is Pavlov, the Russian scientist Pavlov, um, discovered that actually dogs were really great at discerning even minute changes in things like music so mm -hmm. that they could they could they knew the difference between a C and a C sharp. 
they knew the difference between even an eighth of an interval between a C and a C sharp on a piano. Hmm. So the dog's ability to recognize sound, i.e. music or any kind of sound, I believe they recognize that sound of their person's car. Mm. And they can hear those vibrations and that sound from miles and miles away. Um, whether there's some sort of uh, the sense that we don't know about, a predictor we don't know, I'm sure, I'm sure there is, but we just haven't found it yet. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, there are so many things, you know, that old statistic about we use whatever percentage of our brain. I mean, there are so many things. We just assume that things exist only because, you know, only, that the only things that exist are the things that we know about. Extremely arrogant of us, isn't it? It is. It, it, it absolutely is. So when we call a dog, when we say a dog's not intelligent, mm -hmm. I don't think we understand what we're talking about. Well, we don't know you what know we're Barnsley. Talking about. It's not. No, honey. <laughs> and you know what? I, I was know. thinking about you know, Barnsley has a difficulty of locating sound. You said when the yeah. doorbell rings. He doesn't know where it's coming from. No, and where a lot of hounds have that because remember their ears are flop ears? Oh. Dogs that have pointy ears can hear better than dogs that have flop ears. Maybe that's it. Yeah, or droopy ears. He's still weird, though. I would say that Barnsley is... He is a bit is, weird. I do get it. Do Barnsley's a bit smart because when my kids came over, he sort of avoided them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> because he's had the experience before. So he's yeah. learned. He has learned behavior, right? Because you had said that right. he had been chased kind of by chased kids by kids before. So the fact that playing. he was avoiding my kids seemed pretty smart to me. Not that, I mean, I love right. my kids. Here's I, the deal. <laughs> Tonight, I'm going to ask him, Barnsley, what time is it? <laughs> And if he answers, <laughs> dinner. Time. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Give me my dinner. I hope I hope he's all right around his food bowl now. He's yeah, a little better. A little better. He had a little he's, resource guarding thing. That's a whole other. He issue. still gets a little feisty around yeah. it. But, um, okay. Here's a little bit of history. Here's a his, history question. Um, was George Washington a dog lover? And if so, what kind of dogs did he have? Well, I'm gonna have to say yes. He was a dog lover. And I'm going to say dachshunds. Paula. Um, <laughs> Why are you laughing? Yeah, that's a good guess. It's a totally good guess. I'm, oh my gosh, let me think. Well, I'm, just think I'm just thinking of his hair. Like what his hair looks like in the, in the. Um, You're saying a Bichon Frise? Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Just given what his hair looks like. Because you look like your dogs. <laughs> totally. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Bichon Frise. See, I was thinking. <laughs> here's me. I didn't know they existed then, right? He crossed the Potomac. So what's going to fit in the boat? Oh, maybe a Portuguese water dog. One of those, maybe water dogs. Portuguese dog. water dog. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they're called? I don't know. A Portuguese water dog. I yes. just don't know if they were there, if I, they had come over from Portugal at that time. Maybe. <laughs> I spent a lot of my life in school studying psychology, this dog thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to picture George Washington with a dachshund. Well, it doesn't really like, fit the image, does I know, it? it doesn't, but I'm thinking, like, you can throw three of them in a boat, no problem. Something All tall right. and majestic, maybe. Well, you know what? Hounds. And this is why yeah. I think it was appeal to you, Holly. Hounds? Kind of the foxhound terrier. Mm. And a lot of um, American hounds are descended from Washington's original breed. So maybe Barnsley's of royalty. You, He could be. I thought that would appeal to you. You know what I'm going to do? Um, at some point in the near future, I'm going to videotape Barnsley because he is Kramer from Seinfeld of the dog world. And we're going to put it on the podcast so you can see exactly what I mean about my weird dog. Okay. Okay. Right. Next question. <laughs> um, what was the name of Clinton's Labrador Retriever? Bill Clinton's Labrador oh. Retriever. Was it? Oh. I'm going to make it easy for you now. Oh. Sky? No. Buddy? Yes. Yes. Ah, oh. <laughs> yeah. If I wanted to make it easier, I love multiple <laughs> choice. <laughs> Do too. 
I was always thankful when we had exams with multiple choice and I was like, God, at least I have a chance. Right. Um, or like something's going to jump out at me and go, oh, right. I'm the answer. Um, what breed has won best in show in Westminster 13 times? It's got to be a spaniel type. I'm going to go with the... Um, what? <laughs> Our producer's laughing at us. I'm going to say it's the water spaniel, Victoria. What is this whole deal with the Portuguese water spaniel? <laughs> I'm going to say I, I've only seen the sh- that dog show like twice. And it won. The thing I saw was a corgi, like the little short legs. Yeah, but I yeah. don't know that those have existed. I mean, I have no oh, idea no, how Queen long. Victoria. They've been. I mean. Queen Victoria had Pomeranians. Oh, Queen, you know, well, Queen Elizabeth's always had corgis. But yes. isn't corgi, though, go way back to the... Oh, well, they do. I mean, they yeah. were used in the, in the Welsh valleys for herding cattle. Poodles, maybe? Um, no. How many do you know what? Though, poodles are great because poodles have won a lot. Poodles yeah. have won a lot. it's all about hair and vanity and, you know... Exactly. Fox terrier. Oh, Who really? Knew? Yes. Why is that, do you think? I Fox don't... Please terrier. don't ask me. I have no idea. I'm just asking the questions <laughs> and not answering them. Oh, the Ask Victoria isn't Ask Victoria. No, this uh, isn't Ask Victoria. This is Animal Academy. Yeah, this is great. She would answer it. Sit back and ask Victoria. Right, not when it's us asking Victoria. Yeah. Okay, who was the tallest dog ever recorded? What breed was it? How big was it? And how much did it weigh? <laughs> oh, I know this. I'm thinking either a Mastiff or Marmaduke or a St. Bernard. Actually, the largest dog pile is the Irish Wolfhound. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've learned from a previous Animal Academy. <laughs> See, we learned a lot here. But I do believe it was a Mastiff, and I do believe he was um, he was 325 pounds, and on his hind legs, <laughs> he, he was just stood big boned. Holly, stop judging. It was just a big boned. <laughs> no, I do know this, but I don't know it. I mean, it, I remember. It, okay, reading. it was a Great Dane called Gibson. Oh, I said Marmaduke. When he was, when he was, yeah, no, it was uh, awesome. Cartoon. When he was standing on his back legs, mm-hmm. he was seven foot. Two, he is seven foot two inches. I just said seven feet California. Two How much weighs? Weigh? 175 pounds. Oh wow! You that's a supermodel. That's really <laughs> thin. I mean, some, I mean, does that dog like live on diet coke and cigarettes? I, I mean, that's <laughs> very thin, isn't it? 175 pounds for dogs, pretty heavy. Oh okay. It? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got one more. Uh, I've got one more. This is kind of random. Okay. Why did I put this in? Maybe because I was sort of going through the Guinness Book of Records of mm-hmm. um, amazing dogs, extreme dogs. What was the oldest dog? The oldest dog age ever recorded? Okay, it was like 24. I was just going through the Guinness Book of World Records, and all I'm thinking about... What do you mean you were just going through the Guinness Book of World Records? Not literally right here, but we just bought our kids. My kids absolutely love the Guinness Book of World Records, but I like to focus on, like, those people with the really long curly nails. I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Or the really long hair. I don't know what you mean. (laughs) So, I... Yes, and it's usually an Indian man. Okay, let me guess. Let me guess. So, oldest dog, 22 years? No, 29. 29. Recorded in the 1930s, Elasa Apso. Oh my God, that's like 200, let's see, what, 29 times 7? Please right. don't ask me to do that. <laughs> that's like, we don't do that. But doesn't it not go like that, though, when you calculate years? It's like certain number of years in the first yeah. year and second year. It's it about varies. 15 years in the first year, yeah. and then it starts to go down. Uh, but it all averages out, because my cat lived to 20, and we decided he was something like 96. So I it was see. okay to let him go. So it's sort of prorated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they grow very, very fast in the beginning, and then it slows down. Okay, so... 
Well, that I mean, was that was that was good. I, I wouldn't say we passed. It was good for you. <laughs> it was great for me. I love this yes, part of it. Sign up my for my therapy appointment after. For okay, like okay, a I got loser. it. I got it. Let me get my. Calendar uh, am I up. being a narcissist here? No, 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 no. More of a. I was thinking more of like a sadist. A sadist. <laughs> there you go. I like this. Come back again, Paula. Won't you? Yes. Please. So we're gonna get you down fun. on the calendar before you leave here. Okay. 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 I can do Perfect. that. Perfect. All right. And uh, I think we're we've. Uh, we've taken up enough of people's times and um, how fun would it be? We got to get a video camera in here sort of. So people, or at least, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to get my camera and so I can tape and show Paula at the microphone yes. and show you oh, and please, all that kind of I stuff. We'll do some stuff. Okay. I was going to say now that <laughs> I can't wait for the makeup department because I'm used to the makeup department making me up for radio. Um, do we need to talk about self-esteem, Paula, and talk about how wonderful you are from the inside? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh, gosh darn, darn it, it, people like me. <laughs> Woohoo! On that note, don't forget to check out Victoria on Facebook.com slash Victoria Stillwell. And also Twitter, they can follow you. It is It's Me or the Dog, right? Yes. Okay. And um, just, you know, peruse the podcast page. There's so much stuff on there about trainers. There's stuff about questions for the dogs. There's, you know, all kinds of great stuff. Your canine noise phobia series is on there. All kinds of cool awesome. stuff. Awesome. Buy it. Great Christmas present. Oh, yeah. Great Christmas present. Um, and if you want to know more about Paula, go to paulabloom.com. And uh, we will see you very soon, right, Paula? Yes. Okay, Victoria. We'll see you later. Thank Bye, you guys. Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stillwell's Positively, Positively Podcast. For more information, visit Positively.com. Get connected on Facebook as Victoria Stillwell or follow her on Twitter at It's Me or the Dog. This Positively podcast has been brought to you by Pets Ad Life, who encourage you to get a pal for your pet. Visit PetsAdLife.org or the Pets Ad Life Facebook page to learn more. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively.